0: No more to sabo go ato, arahatu or some ma, some Buddha sa. No more to sabo go ato, arahatu or some sa. that. Receive the uh, new moon and full moon. Uh, many reflection, many contemplation uh, that gets sent out from here. We'll have uh, received uh, the Dhammapada verse on Saturday morning, which was the uh, the full moon day yesterday, and uh, we're, we've been hopefully thinking about what was offered there. The, the Dhammapada verse number six, which says, "Those who are contentious have forgotten that we all die." for the wise who reflect on this fact there are no quarrels um, uh, I, i'm never quite sure why any particular verse jumps off the page to me but uh, it might have something to do with georgia um, and what's going on with russia and and why do people keep behaving the way they do but anyway it seemed opportune and i wasn't perhaps in my clearest state of mind when i wrote it because i I like to prepare these moon day reflections when my mind is clear and and, and because I feel this goes out to a lot of people all around the world and and I do it the day before and then click the button in the morning on the moon day. Uh, Usually 6.30 in the morning is about the time to send it out so when people first open their computers uh, they've got this nice little contemplation. Uh, But I realised on the Friday night when I went to bed at midnight that I hadn't done my homework (laughs) and so I had to get out of bed and sit, turn on the computer again and this is the verse well actually this is the story actually another verse jumped off the page verse number 5 which says uh, never by hatred is hatred conquered but by readiness to love alone this is eternal law I thought oh what a wonderful verse that's very inspiring and that's what the world needs so I spent 40 minutes writing what I thought was a really, really rather good contemplation. I thought, actually, you're doing all right here for this time of night, and you're really in the flow, and so just put it in there, and the, you know you do this little Google e-group thing, send it off to the moderator. And I was just about to send it off, and I would just leave it there. And I, and then I thought, have I done this verse before? Here, <laughs> just caught it at 1 in the morning, I thought, I'd oh, better check. So I go back, and I look at the past... Moonday Reflections, and sure enough, a year ago, we'd done verse number five. So we started again, so we moved on to verse number six, didn't have to go very far, until this uh, very, 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 uh, very good verse, very, it felt very pertinent, that those who are contentious have forgotten that we all die, for the wise who reflect on this fact, there are no quarrels, and and uh, I think you know, while I was writing this contemplation out, the, you know, just to register the the inspiration, the good energy that comes from thinking about death, and 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 this was part of what I was uh, presenting in my little mini contemplation. There was how we can now, uh, as Buddhists, uh, you know, we're allowed to think about death. We don't have to uh, buy into the old a model that death is terrible and shouldn't happen and it's a taboo subject and we don't talk about it and and so on. Uh, that, that one of the uh, gifts that Buddhism has brought and is bringing to our culture, I feel, is this encouragement to contemplate death, to think about it, to talk about it, because there's uh, a lot of good energy in there. Marana Sati, the the Buddha referred to it as... Mindfulness, sati, reflection on marana, or death. Something that uh, we're supposed to, uh, if we're serious about practice, reflect on every day. (laughs) This is a daily contemplation. Um, And I have myself uh, for, what is it, 33, 34 years now as a monk, been regularly contemplating this and and so when I do have a chance to talk about it, I, I, I feel good. I, I don't feel apologetic or, or embarrassed or, or, oh, this is a touchy area. I don't actually feel that way. Um, uh, if there are any of you here this evening who are, have recently suffered a bereavement or are going through grieving, my openness to the matter is not a lack of respect for the process of grieving. It's something we, we all have to go through and we can all learn from. It's not a a casual matter, dying. But that's why we're encouraged to think about it. It's not a casual affair. If we're born, as I was saying a few days ago on a summer retreat, the next most logical, absolute, guaranteed thing is we're going to die. So it's not just okay for us to register it, it's essential for us to think about it. And... In as much as we do have um, shadowy areas, places we don't want to go, uh, unfinished pain, unlived through life, and, yeah, well, that's not a bad thing to know about. Yeah. And for myself, uh, just a few days ago, just before the summer retreat started, I got a phone call from New Zealand and I mentioned this to you, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, my oldest friend uh, that I've known uh, since I was uh, eighteen or nineteen passed away and it was it was sad not to uh, be there to see her before she passed away. We were very very close she came to visit me here many many times almost every year for many years and and it was it was very interesting to to have the retreat period we 've had the two weeks retreat now and to just just to let this run its course and part of this process was that I was supposed to go back and do the funeral uh, in New Zealand. I'd I'd promised her I would. And it was all in the kind of agreement that uh, I would go back and do the funeral. And here it was two days before 24 people turn up for the annual summer retreat. And my oldest friend has died. And uh, it's not very convenient to go back. And also, because it's the Wasa period, we're only able to go away for... Six nights, and can you imagine flying to New Zealand and back again within six nights? is not not a very attractive option. And also, as it turned out, um, yeah, when my friend and I made that agreement, Arjuntiradhamma wasn't living in Wellington. So uh, I felt that's okay. Uh, he, and he he was available. Although he too was on retreat, that was fine. He was more than willing to to take this the service and. That was a great service. I've heard all about it since, but just to say that uh, the loss, the perception of loss, and the grieving process is, is this is practice yeah and and it 's very mysterious. Yeah? I had tears and and I reflected, oh you know because I, I was writing this piece that was going to be read out at the funeral, and in the process of writing it, the tears welled up and and you know, where did that come from what 's that all about and it's very mysterious because you know, to tell you the truth, I don't mind that she died. She was 81 years old, um, suffered from Parkinson's and the medication was, was doing a major job on her nervous system and and lost her balance and she was in this very, very restricted, limited situation in a care home and and just moved her room again and she wasn't able to talk on the phone anymore, couldn't do her emails, couldn't communicate and... Quality of life was really, really low, and and uh, she'd lived such a good life. What a wonderful, wise lady! I mean, she she was um, uh, one of the few survivors of the Dresden firebombing. A teenage girl, and the, when they firebombed Dresden, and somehow she managed to survive. But she uh, went through the horrific traumas uh, that, that happened during the war years to young girls, and and she spent her life turning all this. Pain and suffering around to tremendous wisdom and aliveness and, and, and beauty. Although a lot of what she had to face and uh, deal with was very ugly, including her own inner demons that lived with her for a long time. They were very ugly. But as she encountered them, as she met them, and as she got to understand them and see through the way their ugliness, see the way they appeared, she became more beautiful. And uh, a very wonderful life, and when it came to an end, I, I wasn't disappointed. So, what were the tears for? Very mysterious. Sometimes, I think in situations like that, you know, it's like a trigger for for old grieving. That who knows how many lifetimes we've gone through without going through grieving properly. There's been love and attachment and loss and sadness and. Have we had the mindfulness, have we had the understanding to go with it? Probably not. So in a way, I I welcomed it. I took it as a gift uh, from my dear friend Yuta to be able to go through this and to feel the experience of loss, loss of a loved one. This is what it feels like. And this is part of the gift of our Buddhist teaching. We have this invitation to engage the process of death as part of practice. It's not something that we need to um, shy away from. And in Buddhist cultures, they have all sorts of uh, very healthy ways of dealing with this. I think it's in Vietnam they have a practice of of uh, of getting their coffin and having it sitting in the living room. It's um, sitting in the corner, maybe they use it as a bookshelf or something, or... Well, I have heard of, of people inviting their friends in to come and look at their coffin. Say, what do you think of my coffin? And you can lie in it and try it out and check to see if you fit okay. And, and of course, you know, smiling and this, well, that's a bit strange, isn't it? But this is because in a Buddhist culture, it's not wrong. Buddhism doesn't make death wrong. Death can be sad. There's loss, there's sadness. But sadness is not wrong either. This is, this is the field of our practice. This is the field in which we do our cultivation and I remember at char's monastery when I was living there, he, he was still reasonably well on those days, but he already had his coffin. Somebody had made his coffin. It was a prisoner. I think the guy, he was yeah, he was a, he was he was a, sort of, a wonderful had a wonderful skill of doing this mother of pearl inlay. You might have seen some of this particular artwork they do in Thailand, where they do all their very beautiful, very very refined um, artwork of these inlay of mother of pearl, and stunningly beautiful. Um, coffin that this prisoner, uh, a guy in prison, had made and, and wanted to offer it as a, a gift to Rajin Chah. Some multi millionaire had offered him a huge amount of money for it. He said, No, no, this is, this is for my spiritual teacher, for Ajahn Chah. And there's the, a coffin sitting there. And I think, Well, we don't really do that, do we in the West? You know, it's not going to give somebody a coffin as a present. <laughs> Why not? I mean, I've got a birthday coming up. If anybody wants to give me a coffin, <laughs> actually i've already got I've already got a box of my ashes, Jeff Jackson, our good friend and carpenter, he does these beautiful ashes boxes, really, really nice. You can get cherry or cedar. I think mine is lime, it's very nice, and I keep my tea like candles in it beside my shrine. You can get oak as well, so if you like a little box to give to your loved one. I know other people who have done this. They, they buy it and give it to their, their husband or their wife. They exchange boxes, actually. I know a couple who did this. They, they bought ashes boxes and gave one to each other. Isn't that nice? Now, isn't this? This is actually wonderful, isn't it? Where contemplation of death can be a nice thing. Uh, I got an email the other day from a young monk in Canada who had heard a talk I gave where I was talking about my ashes box. I think I must have just been given it. And he found it so inspiring that he, he built one for his teacher. And he kindly sent me a photograph of it. Very beautiful. He did these wonderful, really refined joints. He learnt a new system for making joints in this box. And he, he's given it to his teacher. So engaging in uh, practices uh, that enhance the awareness. And, and, and all these practices and efforts are addressing what is the, what is the, the fundamental in, in any of our um, practices, is the view. okay? The view we hold, that's like in the Eightfold Path, because the first factor of the Eightfold Path, what is it? Samaditi, right view. Yeah, We've to get the view right. And the view we have about death is primary. You know. what, what sort of views do we have about it? Well, it shows up, doesn't it, when... In most situations, I mean, here we we give each other permission to talk about it. I don't see anybody leaving, you know, obviously everybody's okay about it. But there are a lot of situations where it's not okay to just raise the subject and start talking about it. Especially if you have a relative or a friend who's in the process of dying. A lot of denial about it. And... And so Buddhism addresses this directly and said this is to be reflected upon. We've got to get the view right. There's nothing wrong with dying. Bringing about death, enhancing it, killing, is unskillful. But the process of dying itself is inevitable. It's guaranteed. If we're born, there will be death. And so to really find a way of, of getting very conscious about it is important. If we don't get conscious about it, what's going on? You know, the, our awareness knows that we're going to die. On some level, we all know. And that conflicts with that part of our mind that just loves the good times. And you know, there's part of us that just loves food and sunshine. Not that we've had any this year. <laughs> you know, friends and all those things that we're going to lose. Yeah, There's part of our mind that's just getting off on those things really loves it. There's part of us that knows that we're going to lose it, and if this process is not conscious, is not. If we're not aware of this inevitability, this part that's got anxiety, not just with regards to ourselves, but also our loved ones, our partners, our friends, our our children. Yeah, yeah, that part that is afraid of death goes underground and actually undermines our well-being. A lot, it takes a lot of energy to maintain denial, to maintain the habit of denial. Ignorance is, is like a cancer. It's gobbling up a huge amount of energy. You know, why do you think enlightened beings get so radiant suddenly? You know, apparently when a being gets enlightened, the world shakes, you know it causes earthquakes. There's so much energy released. Because all that energy is being used to maintain this this construct of denial or ignorance. So, uh, finding ways to actually address this uh, directly to to address the view we have that that uh, that death is wrong, that dying is wrong. There's nothing wrong with it, and we need to find ways of 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 bringing it into awareness, so we're not letting our energy be sucked into ignorance. Mm-hmm. and just the uh, the opportunity to talk about it and to reflect upon it is a wonderful gift yeah. to see how we the fixed views that we have can be undone yeah. Yeah, okay. a blanket view that death is wrong that death is a failure I mean, when, we, when we do this we, we hold fast to something like that it brings about imbalance. We can't think straight. You know, we can't contemplate. Yeah. Like loss of a loved one. Yeah? When when the feeling of loss comes up, can we go through it? Or the feeling of threat of loss. You know, uh, our dear friend Nando here has been a wonderful example, a wonderful teacher the last few months and ever since he got this diagnosis of, of the cancer and, and the way he's gone through it so consciously and how he's practiced with it and the willingness to share it as well. I I value that. It's been a gift that my closest friend is is going through a process like this. You feel a sense of meanness, threatened. Where are the views in there that are creating a struggle? Mm -hmm. Or where you would expect a struggle, like there are situations he's found himself in that uh, there was no struggle. Before he was taken down for his operation, he had it in his mind that he was supposed to be doing some sort of practice or other. They came on the ward and offered him the pre-op med, you know, as they do, would, would you like a little valium to kind of chill you out? And he said, no, no, I want to go through this consciously. Or I don't know if he told them that, but that was his motivation. And But nothing happened, no anxiety, and just people were just being friendly and helpful, and the guy in the bed off of, off, opposite him was just waving him off and off down to surgery, And and who knows what's going to happen when you're under general anaesthetic for four hours and they don't know what tumour, all they know the tumour 11 centimetres it's a, it's big and uh, they don't know what they're going to find but surprised, there was no reaction, he was lying there on his trolley, all these nobody knew he was a monk because you know you're all green in your green pyjamas or whatever There, and, and this other nurse came along who happened to have a shaved head and they said oh here's my mate with a shaved head <laughs> he was a nurse though and he found out under was a Buddhist monk, had a nice dialogue there just lying in the corridor talking about Life and no reaction. Being able to reflect, say, "Well, why is there no anxiety? Why is there no reaction? Well, because there's not holding to views like, for instance, that the death is wrong." Mm -hmm. So, being uh, contemplating, learning how to contemplate in a way whereby we get in touch with this stuff, asking our own meaningful questions, whether it's in our our own case or or, uh, somebody close to us. It's a a good opportunity for practice, as they say. Maybe what we come across, maybe what comes up is uh, that I don't know how to handle this. That can come up. Often does. For ourselves or or for another person. If you're with somebody who is threatened with dying or is dying, how do I handle this? How do I be with this person? and this happens to me quite a lot people have gotten a troubling diagnosis and and they want to talk about it and and one thing that's consistent I find in talking with such people, meeting people in that situation is that I don't know what to do I don't know how I'm supposed to be with them I've never read these books there are books and and courses you can go on on how to be with people going through the process, I've never read any but fairly early on in, in, uh, in, in, in counting such situations as this, I, I realised that you can bring mindfulness to the condition of not knowing and be okay. You know, in the body, feeling like there's a tension of, I should know what to do, I'm a senior Buddhist monk and I'm supposed to know about death and dying. And the Tibetans, they've got the Tibetan Book of Death and... Uh, and all these stages you go through and, and people often come and say, well the Tibetans said this and the Tibetans said that, what do the Theravadans say? In the beginning I you know, I was you know, kind of a little shaken by the state of not knowing, but later I found on, found out that there's nothing wrong with not knowing. You know, what what is a more natural condition than not knowing? You know, we're always going to be coming across not knowing, especially new experiences. Like dying. I mean, I don't remember the last time I died. So when I'm going to be facing it, I won't know what to do. And what's wrong with that? Well, there's nothing wrong with that, unless we make it wrong. And that's a view. You know, not knowing how to handle my dying is wrong. There's this book somebody gave me called. I think it's called "Gracious Exits," and uh, it's all about these great masters, spiritual teachers, Buddhists, Hindus, and you know, the Jewish—all these teachers who were able to predict their dying and they they, they gave great messages just before they died or they did these great things and they think, oh, well, what were they, Ajimanindo, you know, what was his last utterance? (laughs) And what's all that anxiety about? That anxiety is a cover-up for what? For the fact that I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to handle my death. I was in Charles' death, dragged on for 10 years. a terrible, horrible, uninspiring thing. Yeah. Mm. Some people have these beautiful deaths. and I don't know what my death's going to be like. But to know that we don't know is one way of preparing ourselves for dying. And for others' death as well, to be able to be with somebody as they tell you what's happening for them and to know that you don't know what they need to know that you don't know how to be with somebody. Uh, what it does is it brings us into awareness of reality. Mm. The fantasies about how I should be, how should I be behaving, how will I be when I'm in pain, stuffed up with morphine. and you know, Another very good friend who I'd known for many years died um, after she'd been um, holding... Maintaining herself, I would think, maintaining her her health very well because of her many hours of of, of, of a very well developed samadhi meditation every day, and and then when it came to uh, the last stages, she had a major surgery and the anaesthetic and and various other conditions. She lost her samadhi and she wasn't able to meditate in the way she had been doing, and she went downhill very very quickly. But I went to see her just before she died, and she was saying how she can see these crazy things happening in her mind—hallucinations and stories and images and and ideas—and but she sees it. She sees it as just the, the disintegration of the formations, disintegration of 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 this process. And the awareness was strong enough, so she didn't get confused. So oh, was wonderful. I said, oh, will I be able to do that? Don't know. That's what we can practice with. And so, when people ask me, that's what I say, that's what Theravada Buddhists say, that's here and now. But whole body, mind, judgment-free awareness of what happens when I think about my death. You come up with something like, I don't know whether I'm going to be okay, I don't know if I can handle it, I don't know if I'm ready. That's what we can be with. And that way we can prepare ourselves. Also, in preparing ourselves for dying, there's... Um, there's a lot of benefit in 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 looking at the world of our relationships because, as the teachings say, and as our own contemplations can inform us, that although death is guaranteed, you know, we know we can know we're going to die, but we can't know when. You know, it's so uncertain; we don't know when we're going to die, and so the, the wise thing to do is to prepare ourselves with. Uh, making sure that we're as ready as we can be like in the realm of relationships and somebody very kindly wrote to me recently to, you know, they, 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 uh, I hadn't seen them for quite a long while, and the last time I saw them it wasn't very pleasant uh, there was a little argy bargy going on and um, they wrote to me the other day and they, they said I realise that that I don't want to hang on to these thoughts and so I'm letting you know that, that, that whatever's happened in the past has all gone completely and Please let's move on. Without that, it was such a beautiful thing again, wasn't it? It's, it's such a beautiful thing to to finish things like resentments, and we can do it. And uh, if, in terms of this contemplation about thinking about our of the uncertainty of our time of death, well, uh, when's the time to do it? <laughs> The time to do it is the sooner the better, really. You know, we don't want to. Imagine if the last thing when you're dying you just think, oh, God, if only I know I'd said sorry to such and such, you know, or if only I you know, hadn't held on to that for so long and there you are on your deathbed and, and, well, it's never too late if we've got the mindfulness, but I think it's uh, the wise thing to do is to don't wait because we don't know what's going to be happening at the time we're dying. We don't know. People around us, yeah. when we die. And that's something else we can think about. Uh, we can prepare ourselves for that. How do we want to die? Mm. Nothing wrong with talking about it. Huh? Ajahnabhi under and I, we talk about it. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. I hope he's going to my funeral, quite frankly. I don't, well, I told him I don't want to go to your funeral if I can avoid it. Uh, yeah, I'd rather you go to my funeral. than we talk quite openly about it and say, What do you want to have at your funeral? And you know, writing a will is a very important thing to do. And so I think telling your friends, telling your spouse, telling your family, telling your next of kin you know, what you want at your funeral. Uh, another dear friend who died not so long ago had talked a lot about their funeral, but had never written anything down. And so when it came to the funeral, there was quite some difficulty because the family thought one way and her friends thought another way. And, and so even though we ourselves might find in our own contemplation, well, when I die, I don't care what they do. That's fine. I really don't care what they do. I don't care. They can do anything they like. me. Well, that's fine. However, it might be uh, compassionate and, and helpful for those who left behind to express it. And also, interesting, in the process of contemplating this, it helps bring it more, makes it more intimate. Something I have often done on teaching retreats is once we're into the retreats, my third or fourth day, to uh, lead a a guided contemplation on this and I ask everybody on the retreat to uh, think about their funeral. And so here we all are, 25, 30 people in a room, all thinking about our funeral together in a focused way. Very interesting, very good energy, very peaceful, and very happy. Because what we're doing when we're when we're with that is we're, we've got all the energy that's previously gone feeding denial is now available for reality, for this experience. We don't have to pretend anymore. We're not dying. We're not going to die. It's a great relief. It's like you know you stop telling that lie. Well, that's what's going on with uh, the habit of denial. Yeah, we stop telling ourselves that lie. We're not. We're, we're not going to die. Of course we're going to die. And so a contemplation on our funeral can be a, a very skillful preparation mm. for ourselves. It helps take the awareness deeper. Yes, yeah, I'm going to die. I go, I'm my little box of tea lights. Say, yeah, one day I'll, I'll, I'll fit in there. Yeah. Somebody who was in my queue the other day said, you won't fit in that box. <laughs> You're too big. Well, basically, we're all water. Most of us are water, isn't it? Was it 93% or something was the doctor? 93%? 97%? You know, most of it's water, so yeah, I'll fit in that little box. If there's some left over, you can just scatter them around, whatever. And uh, so, yeah, write down what we want to happen to our ashes and, and, and it helps those who are left behind. Write our funeral up, if you want. Um, my uh, My friend who who died in New Zealand uh, a few days ago. Uh, they prepared a wonderful funeral for her. Uh, the CD is coming. They made a CD of it. They had, I think, cameras. I don't think this uh, this uh, funeral parlor had. I think like a 14 cameras set up. There's a service now where you can do this. They can film the whole thing. And even there's a service in this, in this country where you can even get it uh, internet transmitted all around the world, live. Um... What's it called? I forget it now. There's, there's a service you can get in this country because a lot of people these days can't travel. Your friends can't come from other places, and so you can get it transmitted live around the world so people can feel a part of it. I think that's a nice thing. And then having it videoed so that people who can't be there can take the CD, and I'm going to have the CD of my friend's funeral in a few days to sit and watch. And there was a very nice PowerPoint uh, presentation. The whole thing was an hour and a half. It wasn't just a quick little 15-minute Thing they really put energy into it, and and uh, I remember as a young lad, uh, I, I was I was invited to go to a tangi it's called, I was invited onto the marae, the meeting ground for the Maori people, and to a tangi which is their taking leave, and they have this ritual way of wailing, and then people sing songs, they read poems, and I, again um, to find ways of. Of bringing us into awareness, so that when we go through this very important stage of life, it's not fraught with anxiety for ourselves and for others. That uh, we can be—it's so easy for this habit of avoiding the pain of loss. But the pain of loss is guaranteed; it cannot be avoided. All we do is we use our 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 clever uh, mental gymnastics to. Push it aside, the uh, like we just—it's like it's like pushing the dust under the rug. Yeah, we do this with things we don't like. You know, we push it under the rug. I think it was Ramdas who said that. You know, when the Buddha comes to visit, the first place he looks is under the rug. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you don't want to put too much under the rug because that's the first place the Buddha goes when he comes round to visit. Yeah. So fear of death, fear of not knowing how to handle it—we don't want to push it under the rug. We want to find a way of bringing it out and turning it around so inventing rituals I think can be uh, skillful feeling we have permission to do that and then and then also uh, preparing ourselves for the next step which is rebirth probably now it may be that uh, that you're able to use the death experience you're so well prepared for it that if you haven't already gotten enlightened by the time you die, that uh, from uh, what the venerable Buddha Dasa says, that that dying is one of the best opportunities for getting enlightened. Yeah, because it's so glaringly obvious that there's nothing worth holding on to. Apparently, it just really comes to you in a very vivid way. And, uh, and if we've prepared ourselves with strong mindfulness, with concentration, uh, with... with determination to stay with truth to stay with reality our interest in reality yeah. Yeah. Our dhamma are this investigating reality is a is a mood is a is a is a is a is an inclination of the mind that can be cultivated and and so if we've we've prepared ourselves with these things and then apparently when when the, the body is really falling apart. It becomes glaringly obvious that there's nothing to hang on to. And so if we've diminished our tendencies for grasping sufficiently, maybe the big letting go can happen, which would be a wonderful thing. So to bear that in mind and uh, to have people there prepared to support us through that. uh, I think I've shared with you the experience of uh, our dear friend Sue Warren, who passed away at 101 a few years ago now, and she made it very clear that she wanted uh, Venerable Buddhadasa's teachings, uh, Heartwood of the Bodhi Tree, commentary, read to her while she was dying, and Jenny was there uh, reading to her while she was dying. And and uh, the body's falling apart, and and the chemicals are going haywire, and the the body can be doing all sorts of crazy things, and and our friend Sue was getting in and out of bed and doing all sorts of strange stuff. But that's just what the body's doing when it's falling apart. We don't know what's going on at the level of the heart, you know, deeply. So we hold to the contemplation that, you know, that the heart is always ready to hear truth. You know, If we ourselves have committed ourselves to truth, yeah, you know, and we're with somebody who we know has committed themselves to truth, to dhamma, then that's what we're serving. We don't get distracted by the antics of the body. And so on this occasion, no. It was a wonderful thing. I feel very happy for Sue that it worked out that, that she had a friend with her to read to her, her favourite book. And so that's something we can do. You know, Write it down. Tell our friend this is what I'd like you to read to me. And I'd also like chanting. But if you can't have a, somebody come and do chanting, well you can have a CD playing. You could have the traffic outside, horns going and and sirens blaring and so on, but who wants that when you're dying? It would be much nicer just to have some nice Buddhist chanting playing. Or your Buddha image. I, know if you... I want to have my Buddha image in the room when I'm dying. And I don't want it over here where I can't see it. I'm going to make this very clear. I'm going to write it down You know, So why not be quite specific about it and say, well, I don't want to put my feet to the Buddha because I've been practicing for all these years to not do that but I want you to put it over there. In my room where I'm dying, I want you to put the Buddha where I can see it. And so even if we've lost our other faculties and our eyes can still see, that which symbolizes truth for us, that which is most important, the realization of freedom from suffering is possible for human beings. And in so doing, I think this is a very skillful way of preparing ourselves for rebirth, to get reborn in a situation where we have access to the Buddha's teachings. Not many people on the planet have that. Yeah. We all take it for granted. You we know, just think, "Oh, whatever. I won't bother going to the monastery this week. You know, whatever. I go next week. You know. I won't bother meditating. Or you know, I'll meditate tomorrow." Yeah. Well, you, know, you stop and think about it. I mean, just imagine if we've never come across these teachings. still. I mean, I dread to think, quite frankly, what would have happened to me if I'd never come across Dhamma, because I couldn't make sense of what was going on. It's just I didn't find any of the distractions really appealing. Didn't really work. But then you come across dumb minds who actually you don't have to distract yourself. You don't have to take fixed positions for and against life. You don't have to be always indulging or fighting. You know, there is the middle way, the middle way of cultivating that here and now judgment free awareness that is able to be with the experience as it's happening. Now we can train ourselves in this. So personally, I know that if I don't manage to finish it in this life, that I want to make sure I come back in a place and a time where I can have access to these teachings. So I do think that conditioning our consciousness in this way, like, for instance, having those things that symbolize truth for us there, and the reminders like having teachings read to us. When uh, Samanera Visudi here, when his last teacher in Hong Kong was dying, uh, as his attendant at the time uh, in his past life he was a nurse and it was very convenient for his teacher that he had a, uh, a Shramanera who happened to be a nurse who was able to look after him and would sit there reading to him reading Dhamma teachings to him It's a wonderful thing to do for somebody it's also a wonderful thing to have done for us to help bring our mind back to that which is most important yeah. and in support of that also we could perhaps write down things and say well you know As much as as all sorts of people might want to come and see me, uh, I don't mean to be ungracious or unkind, but I'd really rather be left alone. It's all right to say that. Somebody asked me this question recently. They said, how do you deal with the fear of dying alone? And is it such a bad thing to die alone anyway? Uh, I said, no, I think it sounds preferable, really. If not alone, at least with people who are not afraid of the process. Yeah. Now, it could well be that uh, yeah, this is not relevant to you because you are so established in practice that you don 't need to make preparation that you 're able to accord with what 's happening whatever 's happening. however, if you don 't feel that confident well then it 's totally appropriate and even very skillful to to make these gestures of preparation you say well yeah it 's like anything else is you know, Nothing wrong with preparing ourselves for something. Dying is quite an important thing. You don't want to miss it. It's not just a small, insignificant thing. They'll say, oh, well, you know, I'll do it tomorrow. You know, when the time to die is, you I want to get this as right as I can. And so I think it's alright, if that's your wish, just to say, well, I'd rather not have too many people around. I think that's okay to express that. Because one of the things that happens, for those of you that have been around, people who are dying probably know, that it triggers for people their own fear of loss. And not everybody is going to handle it very well. And so you might have a heart of generosity and loving kindness and want to want to offer your dying process to anybody, everybody who wants to come along and uh, practice with you, and that's, that could be a beautiful thing. But on the other hand, there's nothing wrong with just saying no. This is this is my moment. This is something I want to go through as consciously as I possibly can. There's nothing. That's not selfish. It's okay to just say no. This is. It's like practice. It is practice. It's not like practice. It is practice, and it's an important moment of practice. So thank you very much this evening for your attention. Pandamayam, Dhammakataya, Sadhu, Tarang, Ram,